When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, how's it going, Jason? Pretty good. Uh, got some interesting things happening in the uh, NBA. It is uh, just had media day, and uh, there have been trades. There have been uh, shenanigans. There have been lots of uh, <laughs> lots of uh, protesting and lots of uh, people upset at the uh, president. And surprisingly enough, I can't imagine why anyone would be upset yeah, with the president. Why? It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 lots of respects uh, the post of the president yes. of the United States. I mean, come on. Honorable, honorable place. Yeah, honorable. <laughs> right, absolutely. So, um, in the midst of all that, uh, almost anticlimactic, although it was obviously big news, uh, Carmelo Anthony is going to uh, Oklahoma City to join uh, Russell Westbrook, uh, who of course has been there, and Paul George, who is a uh, newcomer there, was uh, traded uh, around the around draft time, I guess, slightly after draft time. So. Um, so yeah, that is a very um, interesting threesome, and it reminded me and and you slightly at least of the way that the boston's big three uh 10 years ago uh kevin garnett uh ray allen joined uh paul pierce to form you know a a, a very powerful trio and circumstances are, are are very different um in terms i think of the expectations in terms of there's some similarities i think in the stages of careers that they were we'll talk about mm-hmm. that but I, I do think that there's enough um parallels there that there's some interesting things to talk about we got to talk about the differences between them but so i i, I think it's a uh, a worthwhile discussion yeah certainly i mean from the you know the baseline or kind of the the surface level it's it's of course one incumbent player and you know the boston's case was paul pierce and in oklahoma city's case of course russell westbrook uh and then two other guys coming via trade or you know via you, you know um in terms of paul george and, and carmel anthony and as far as the careers when you actually can compare and contrast where all these guys have sort of been in their career it, it is very interesting that that there are a lot of parallels and a little bit more parallels even than the miami big three which we're going to talk about the Miami big three i heard a little bit but i think they're a little bit different than than this big three for for a few reasons but yeah no you can definitely see some some similarities there um in one case, you know, it's Oklahoma City who, who obviously, you know, went through the era where they had Kevin Durant and were were competitors in the in, in the West, and and you know, Boston, you know, by the time when this happened, this is two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when when the Big Three comes together, they had sort of not really been in in the mix there for a few years, but there was a time in the early two thousand we've talked about on the show a lot where they were like a legit contender. You know, the East wasn't as deep as as it would become, you know, in later years, but it was still a, a relatively competitive conference, and and they were right there when Antoine Walker was at the peak of 
of his powers when Paul Pierce was was you know arguably entering his peak or about where his peak was. They were a competitive team. They were making you know runs in the playoffs. They just never could quite get over the hump. And then they sort of had a lull period. Um, kind of similarly as well, Paul Pierce. There was some rumblings of, hey, is he even going to stay here? Is Boston better off sort of trading him or moving on? Is he going to demand a trade? Is he going to want out? Because he's been here in Boston for a while and they haven't really had success and he's not really all, all that much. And you know, in in Russell's case, he's beloved in OKC, and and in Pierce's case, I don't know at that time that he was quite beloved, but still, there's some decent parallels there between what had sort of been going on with the two franchises, and then of course, like you're saying, the expectations of okay, now these teams are formed, now what do people think about them? And I think it is that's where we're going to get our real big difference because then it was very different than it is I think today. Um, you know, in, in the midst or you know j- just after this Carmelo Anthony trade, where it's like, and I'm not sure your exact thoughts on it, but I'm like, ah, that's pretty cool. They'll you know be fun <laughs> this year, but you know. It, we're going to talk about Boston where it wasn't that it was like, Oh, here we go. This is ready to, to, to get off and running. And, and as we knew it, you know, it obviously did. Yeah. I mean, I think there was certainly the, the, the expectation of the Celtics were, you know, were now the favorites in the East. Um, I, I don't know if it was, I mean, I, I do think that they exceeded expectations by how quickly it all came together. And, you know, the fact that they were, you know, by a lot of measures, you know, a, a really, really historically great team. Um, you know, they were competing with, you know, a, a pretty tough Cleveland team. You know, obviously the Brown was there. They were still kind of getting the roster around him, but they had just gone to the finals the year before. Um, we're in a great regular season team yet, but, you know, we're formidable anyway. Uh, obviously the Pistons were in the midst of their, um, you know, Eastern Conference finals runs that was coming, you know, to an end uh, pretty soon after that. But uh, so... You know they were expected to be at the top of that mix, but I don't necessarily think it was. I, I think they certainly w- were. It, it, it gelled together because they. I think they had some of the same concerns um, as you know I might have with Oklahoma City, where um, you've got three really good players, three players that complement each other possibly pretty well. There might be some a little bit of overlap here. Um, it is a younger trio. Um, Westbrook is only 28. George is only 27. Carmelo is 33, so he's older. But uh, if you look at Allen, who's 32, Pierce, who was 30, and Garnett is 31, the timelines are a little bit different. Um, but but I, I, I do think that... Yeah, I don't know how good the Thunder exactly are going to be. Like, I, I think they could definitely be the second best team in the West. Uh, I don't think they're any better than that. Um, you know, they they would I would say they're close to even with with Houston and the Spurs right now in the West. I think they're kind of all like sort of in that same group. I don't know how are you feeling about that. Yeah, that's about where I'd, I'd place them as well. I mean, the problem is you have the the giant juggernaut of the Warriors, where it's like it's almost tough to tell any team that you know. And there was a, n- a number of teams this offseason, which I, by the way I love. That this has been like my favorite offseason in quite a while because you know. When it, when you would think that because you have this dynamo of the Warriors, everybody would just go like, ah, forget it, they're winning, whatever, who cares? But for some reason, everybody went to the Western Conference to battle them, and then everybody like got. I love this offseason, and every team was like, you know what? No, we're not just going to sit down and let them win. We're going for it, and that's awesome. Like, and and I admire what OKC did here, and we're going to talk a little bit about how you know the Boston thing was. You know, when those three came together, Alan Pearson and Garnett, it was a long term thing of this is our core for, you know, X amount of years or whatever. Whereas this OKC thing, I mean, you have Westbrook who has not signed his extension. You have George who's done after this year. And then you have Carmelo who I believe has uh, either one year or another opt out. But, but either way, it's, it's a short. I mean, this is a let's see what happens this year. And then we'll, who knows what's going to happen, you know, next season. Whereas it was kind of interesting there with the Boston where it was like, you know, Garnett signed an extension. We'll, We'll get into more details here in a little bit, but it was basically on that night they locked those guys in and said, okay, you are 
are the new Boston Celtics for the next half decade or whatever. And that it was pretty interesting how that sort of contrasts to what we have with OKC, where it's like kind of a gunslinger, let's see what the hell happens this year type mentality. But but I like that. I like the idea that this offseason has been a lot of that, in particular in OKC's standpoint of like, hey, look, you know, Westbrook could leave in the offseason regardless of what we do, so why don't we just go for it and see what the hell happens this year, which is kind of cool. And maybe this is a way to sort of say, hey, look, this is what we're willing to do to keep you here, and this is what we're willing to do to, to, to do stuff. And and also when you look at the guys that they gave up, is is fairly interesting as well. I think um, you know, the trade markets were a little bit different for, uh, for, for Allen and Garnett, and I think that, you know, ultimately what went wasn't, that big of a deal, but I feel like they got, Boston, you know, gave up a little bit more in those days than, you know, Indiana or, um, um, you, you know, the Knicks gave up or, or the Knicks, you know, acquired from OKC. They didn't really acquire anything at all. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, OKC gave up, you know, they gave up a depot, obviously. They gave up Sabonis, um, and then they gave up, um, you know, McDermott and, uh, and a, uh, a decent second round draft pick, mm-hmm. but not, you know, what you, they were, they, they were both surprisingly, low returns especially the return for Paul George I think yeah and the uh, you know the trade for Garnett you know was Al Jefferson who was regarded as like you know could be a foundational young player and then you know a bunch of guys who had been you know the, the uh, Celtics had drafted a bunch of guys and you know they it, you know it was like Marcus Banks who seemed like he might be okay at the time you know it, it ended up not being a very good uh, value deal but I, I think it looked a little better at the time than it ended up you know being I, I, and obviously like people knew Garnett was really Great, but the, you know there were questions around like Garnett, well, all three guys to a certain extent. I mean, none of them had really accomplished that much in the uh, playoffs. You know, Pierce had, had been there with Walker at the conference finals one time, but you know, like they had struggled for about four years. Really, you know, they'd been really bad the year before, um, and there were some questions about yeah, you know, like is Pierce really into what we're doing here? And it just you know like. It, it, there was definitely some discontent among the fans. I mean, he was he was still well liked, but there was definitely a segment of like, oh, you know, maybe he's you know, like it, it wasn't quite like the Vince Carter in Toronto situation, but there was definitely some a little fan discontent going on there. Um, and uh, you know, Ray Allen had you know had had some success with the Bucks and some success with the uh, Sonics, but you know, was at a point where like you know, had been like you know a number one option it was kind of clear that you couldn't win too much as the number one option with him especially at 32 and Garnett you know for the first 10 years of his playoffs his career didn't get past the first round of the playoffs finally right. got past in, in 04 got to the conference finals and you know for the first time actually had you know solid teammates with Sprewell and uh, Cassell even though you know, those guys obviously weren't superstars um so, so yeah I mean you, you are at, at in, in somewhat of a similar term, I mean, it's been you know, like four years since Anthony has been to the uh, playoffs. You know, Indiana's struggled for the uh, last uh, couple of years. Obviously, they had some, a couple of conference finals appearances back when they were battling the Heat and gave them some pretty good playoff series. But, you know, it, it, ever since, you know, George broke his leg, obviously that, that changed the kind of the course for the franchise in his career. And he's you know, come back. He's still really been really good. Um, and then Westbrook, you know, he, obviously Oklahoma City really had a lot of success with, you know, Durant and Ibaka and Harden. Um, and, but you know, Westbrook, you know, last year, I, I think he carried them more than anyone could have ever expected them to uh, go. You know, his incredible play during crunch time, obviously, you know, those huge numbers and triple-double and getting the MVP and all that. And, and I, I think certainly um, deserved it. But, you know, he hasn't obviously he has not spent much time in his career without Durant. But, you know, in terms of he hasn't, you know proven that um he can carry team basketball season so now it's three guys who i think who have something to prove in in somewhat of the same way that those celtics guys um had as well 
Yeah, so here's a quick little kind of tale of the tape for all the guys so we can kind of check in at where, where you know, the, the Celtics were at this point when they came together and where, uh, you know, OKC is now at this point. Uh, you had Ray Allen, as you mentioned a little bit earlier. He's 32 years old at this time. He had been a seven-time NBA All-Star, uh, one-time All-NBA second team, one-time All-NBA third team. He had one top-10 MVP finish and one conference finals appearance, of course, with the uh, the Bucks as you mentioned. You have Paul Pierce, who uh, the accolades quite aren't as much, but he's only 30 years old at this point. He's been a five-time NBA All-Star, uh, two-time All-NBA third team, and then one conference finals appearance with, you know, of course, Anton Walker and the Boston Celtics. Uh, then you have Kevin Garnett, who is, you know, obviously the most accomplished of the three, uh, 31 years old at this point, uh, 10-time NBA All-Star, uh, two-time All-NBA third team, three-time All-NBA second team, and three-time All-NBA first team. Uh, he was also six-time All-NBA uh, defensive first team. Uh, he had won one MVP award at this point. He had a six of top 10 MVP finishes. Uh, but of course, the big thing on him was only the one conference finals appearance. So despite all those accolades, you know, tough time getting out of the first round and only that one time they really get to the conference finals. So uh, that's kind of the Celtics coming together. And then Westbrook um, and the, Cel- uh, the the Thunder, rather, uh, you have Russell Westbrook, who's 28 years old. He's a six-time NBA All-Star, a four-time All-NBA second team, two-time All-NBA first team, uh, one MVP, a four-time top 10 MVP finishes, three conference finals appearances, but of course, you know, obviously with, with his running mate Durant, uh, and one NBA finals appearance pretty early in the uh, the 10 year of, of Durant and of course they still had Harden at that point as well uh, and then you have Paul George 27 years old so he's the youngest guy of um uh, of this entire crop of, uh, of people that we're talking about, all you know, all six guys, uh, four-time uh, NBA All Star, he won a Most Improved Player Award, uh, three-time All NBA Third Team, one top ten MVP finish, uh, but he made two conference finals appearances with the Indiana team, giving uh, Miami a lot of trouble too, and almost uh, almost upset them uh, one of those years as well. Uh, and last but not least, you have Carmelo Anthony, who surprisingly is the oldest of all the six guys. I, I, I for whatever reason always think of Paul Paul Pierce always had like an older game because like even when he was thirty, I kind of thought he was thirty six. Like even when he was twenty seven, he played like a 37 year old so it's kind of always been you know that Paul Pierce is only 30 when, when the big three came together but Carmelo's 33 at this point uh 10 time NBA all-star four time uh all-nba third team two-time all-nba second team two top 10 MVP finishes and one only one conference finals appearance for Carmelo Anthony so what do you kind of think of those two when you when you look at the the tail of the tape to compare and contrast to those two and where are those two units uh and where they were at this point what are your thoughts yeah, I, I mean, I I think that it's really hard to obviously this is kind of what we do on this podcast, but it is a little bit hard to go back to like the what we thought of of the big three in Boston before they accomplished what they accomplished because like as a unit, like I can think of them individually because I can understand them, but just thinking of like okay, how is this going to fit together? How is this going to gel together? Obviously, like Garnett was this like tremendous revolutionary defensive force. Um, and Allen, you know, fit really well together with that shooting. And what we didn't know at the time, obviously, was Tom Thibodeau being the assistant coach and having that, you know, uh, you know, being this defensive genius and being able to like basically revolutionize defense in the NBA through Garnett and through you know the scheme that you know they uh, that they would be able to figure out you know kind of the rest of the league and be able to you know beat LeBron at his best and you know beat the Magic when they were really tough and and things like that. And obviously, you know, win that championship against the Lakers and come close a second time. So, um, uh, you know, thinking about where the unit, like I, I do feel like, I mean, obviously it's nice that the Thunder guys are, obviously Carmelo's older, but George and Westbrook are younger. You you can really see, um, 
you know, Carmelo being kind of a guy who can like an offense. I, I feel like I can see this working pretty well. Like I can see like Carmelo being like a guy who like you know offensively uh, spaces the floor. I think you know Westbrook and George, you know, like in the pick and roll, and um, like I I feel like they don't like get each other's way on offense too much. Like I'm not sure that's like a perfect compliment, but there's so much offensive talent, and it's not like they're you know totally going to be stepping on each other like I, and I feel like the the complimentary guys around them you know I, I think the Thunder they don't have a lot of depth but the guys that they actually do have like um you know, like you know Roberson and Adams are fairly like they're not going to get too much in the way it would be nice if they had like another guy who could like space the floor a little bit yeah Roberson um, is going to do all he can to get out of the way <laughs> which is like yeah you know there were times last year where Westbrook would pass it to him and he was like no <laughs> yeah to somebody well, else please not me the one like, thing yeah I mean if he could be a guy and I think he's shown this some if he could be a guy just kind of like cuts to the basket and you, you just yeah, get exactly. really yeah, easy just, offense out there like I feel like that that can be kind of thing and, and you know the the thing about Boston's big three is that um, you know, like the, the guys who they ended up getting to compliment them they weren't really experienced they, they didn't seem like they were necessarily ready for the moment I mean Rondo was like in his uh, it was only a second year at that point and Perkins was really young too and the fact that they were those guys actually stepped up and you know just kind of really how, how well they ended up fitting and how they kind of came you know I think that was the big surprise even more than you know, the big three being able to play together. Yeah, well, what was interesting is they, they really loaded up on veterans at that Boston team. Like, you got guys like, uh, you know, James Posey at that point was still relatively young, but, you know, they bring him in, they bring Eddie House, uh, Tony Allen, who these guys are still kind of emerging, but uh, the veteran, real big veterans they brought in were like guys like a P.J. Brown, a Sam Cassell, a Scott Pollard, you know, guys like that, and those guys ended up really much not doing anything for that team and just kind of being there along for the ride, and that's that was a testament to guys like a Perkins stepping up, and, and uh, you know, Cassell wasn't needed because Rondo became great and, and stepped up, and and PJ Brown wasn't needed because Perkins stepped up and w- was great, and Scott Pollard yeah. wasn't needed because so it, it's pretty interesting that's respect that like you have a lot of these younger guys and, and you go okay well let's let's add some veterans and see how it works but it's like everybody coalesced perfectly and that made you know the team the best one of the best defenses of all time I know they were you know far and away the best defensive team that season and one of the best defensive teams of all time and that coalesced probably better than they would have ever expected uh, you, you know obviously Garnett you know was well regarded for his defense you know making all those all NBA uh, defensive first teams but uh, for Allen and Pierce to both step up for Ronner to kind of uh, assume that position then for Perkins like that was probably not in the mix that hey our two young guys or you know two of our you know budgeting young guys are going to also be great and then we're going to have like five really good guys and that's that's going to be the issue with OKC I think in a lot of ways is, is yeah where do Roberson fit in where do Adams fit in I think they fit in well with that starting lineup, which which is nice, but yeah, you do um, you do wonder where you're going to get those bench guys because that's what Boston had a lot of those guys like your James Posey's, your Leon Pose. Uh, I mentioned Eddie House, Tony Allen, those sort of guys who were able to step up off the bench. I don't know if OKC necessarily has that same sort of depth that that they had, but you never know. I mean, it could be a thing where Roberson is is finds his ideal spot of like, hey, cool, now you don't need to rely on me for any offense. I can just be one of the best defensive players in the league. And, and Adams as well can just say, hey, cool, good. I don't have to really be involved with the offense. I'll just play some you know solid defense and, and get some good offensive rebounds and stuff. So it could work better than we even think because this Boston thing was an example of that where it worked much better than I think a lot of people thought. Yeah, and obviously, I think you know, Doc Rivers, the way that he was able to kind of you know bring them together, obviously KG's intensity and just um, like overwhelming <laughs> like ability to just uh you know coalesce teammates and to you just kind of provide that like in your face leadership it's you know gonna be interesting if you know the thunder can um 
you know, because I think there was some disaster potential with Boston with those personalities coming together. Like there's, and it, and it, it kind of, you know, it got a little bit weird later with obviously the stuff with um, Rondo and Ray Allen of them not getting along, and you know, the way that Allen ended up leaving for Miami and the tensions there, and you know, th- those guys definitely like there was some very strong personalities, and you never know how that's going to work, whether they're going to you know coalesce or clash or a little bit of, you know, obviously there's ups and downs in, in a lot of those relationships, but. Um, you know, I like it's like I feel like Russell's really intense on the court. I just I don't know like off the court like if he's like necessarily going to, you know, like like who's the immediate guy who's going to like kind of like step up the leadership there? Because I don't know if George has always been that guy. Like Indiana's had some weird like chemistry issues from time to time, and um, you know, and and Carmelo's usually been like uh, the teams that have sort of been the strongest that he's played on. Usually, if like other guys who were veterans, you know, who were more like you know that the year that the Knicks were really good with like Rashid. Wallace and Jason Kidd and those guys kind of being in there and right. Carmel obviously being like the, the the central focus of like playing but not necessarily having like the being the vet there um and you know maybe uh you know Carmelo's um you know he's obviously he's older now and, and has embraced some like more responsibility off the court so maybe that's gonna you know be there you know in terms of you know on the team that really is gonna be interesting and then that's obviously you know pretty unknowable here um uh, but I I do think yeah, like I said, I, I I don't see them as necessarily like a, it's hard for me to imagine them being like a transcendent team. You know, they're going to just be a step below the Warriors. I would be shocked, you know, if they were able to be as good as the as the Celtics were in 08. But, you know, like as far as like, you know, just getting something together and taking your shot like they this is a pretty good um you know, this is a, this is a pretty good considering what they had to get these guys to yeah. take your shot for one year. This is a, like a, a you know, this isn't a bad way of doing that. No, and and uh, you, you talk about expectations. You talk about you know the, the idea that you know if they can compete with the Warriors or whatever. This is pretty interesting from Mark Stein. Uh, ES, this is at you know at the time, of course, when the Celtics trade went down. He was at ESPN.com. Um, there's the exact quote from the article. He says, "As expensive as it would be to employ a trio of all stars, especially with Garnett eligible for a four year extension from his new team worth an estimated 116 million, uh, Celtics management has made the commitment to stray into luxury tax territory for the opportunity to team Garnett with Allen and franchise mainstay Paul Pierce in an Eastern Conference for the taking. The Celtics would be expected to contend." for an NBA Finals berth right away if the trade goes through, no matter what they put around that trio, uh, especially after Cleveland advanced to the Finals in June without even a clear-cut second star to LeBron James. So, um, pretty sure. And then this, I actually, I, I this little tidbit from that article that uh, I kind of forgot that this was a thing. And then I, I, as you know, after I saw that, I kind of looked it up. I was like, oh yeah, I do, I do kind of remember this being a thing. It says uh, ESPN.com reported in June uh, that Garnett would be hoping for a trade to the Phoenix Suns if he had to leave the team. Uh, the team, of course, being... Um, uh, the, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, his reasons, according to sources, Garnett would prefer to play in a warm weather city on a team with a championship potential if he's forced to relocate. Another big factor, uh, Garnett and Steve Nash have become good friends over the past few years, starting in 2005 when Garnett was one of the first players in the league to call Nash and congratulate him on his first MVP trophy. And that's uh, kind of an interesting thing there because if you go through that article as well, um, you, you do realize a little bit of the background that Garnett really didn't want to go to Boston. He didn't really want to leave Minnesota necessarily. There was a lot of wrangling to get him to do it. Uh, they had agreed to a deal. You know, I think a few days prior, and Garnett said, "No, nah, I'm not waving my own trade clause." And then you just needed people to get talk. And then I think that you know, Allen coming over, then he was like, "All right, cool, maybe this is something we got going here in Boston." But uh, it is pretty interesting knowing, you know, just how his Boston career went and how you know synonymous he was with the Celtics. That there was reservations about going there, and there was reservations about leaving, you know, Minnesota in general. Like he kind of, <laughs> in a lot of ways, at the time, seemed like he wanted to be there, or like you see from that quote, wanted to be in Phoenix. And and for him to uh, embrace uh, the Celtics and embrace going to the Celtics, uh, you know, ended up turning around his career and. 
and turn around his legacy in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny. I, I hadn't thought about the. It's obviously a, a very direct connection between, you know, the the Allen trade for the pick that became Jeff Green, and that kicked off the rebuild in uh, Seattle. That led to them, of course, drafting Durant, and uh, and then eventually Westbrook, and moving to Oklahoma City, and then building the team that you know that now the uh, the Thunder are trying to uh, you know rebuild around. So a nice little circle here. Yeah, and trading and trading Jeff Green later for Kendrick Perkins too. So nice yeah, little, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yes, it all all comes around in a full circle, but. Yeah, I, I, it all I mean, revolves around Kendrick Perkins. Let's be honest. Yeah. You can do. I, I think we, we sh- our new show should just be. We should have a show where it's just you know, six degrees of Kendrick Perkins and see how far we can go back. But, oh, uh, I, it's, it's good. Yeah, we'll be one of our uh, sub shows though. Uh, <laughs> our, our, our sub series, you know, WrestleMania, uh, six degrees of Kendrick Perkins. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that one's going to do just as well, if, if not better than anything yeah, we've uh, ever done. So absolutely. Because who who who's <laughs> everybody wants Kendrick Perkins content? Let's be honest. Oh, I, I mean, they, yeah, you're always vying for that yeah. hot SEO of Kendrick Perkins in your yeah. search title. So. Sweet, sweet SEO. Yes, um, yeah, and, and obviously the you know the difference in expectations is a no step, and there's no power team like the Golden State Warriors. I mean, there's really almost never been a team that, that like that. You know, um, that was that much of a favorite in the league. Uh, you know, other than the Bulls and uh, the Jordan Bulls, and you know maybe a handful of the teams in NBA history. So. Um, uh, so, so yeah, so, so there there was an opening there, especially in the Eastern Conference, as, as you, know, you talked about the uh, that Cleveland team was relatively weak. The you know Detroit had been a powerhouse, but were you know starting to show some signs of faltering, and uh, you know Boston definitely had an opening there, and uh, and and you know the the, uh, the on the other conference, the Lakers were about to emerge as you know is uh, you know team that would go to three straight finals and win two championships there as the uh, as Boston's rivals. So it, there was very much kind of a changing of the uh you know power guard in the league the uh you know the spurs who had been you know the champions in 03 and 05 and 07 we're gonna have you know it was still gonna be really good but we're gonna have a, a, a gap in um really being a deep championship team and the, the conference imbalance which had kind of like leaned toward the west for most of the decade and, and garnett moving to the to the east and i guess Allen moving to the east had a decently sized part in this um you know made the made the East a stronger, you know, conference than it had been for uh, quite a while. And it's certainly a stronger conference than it is now. The exact opposite, of course, has happened uh, this summer when, in <laughs> fact, the East has already, you know, kind of been weak for the past, you know, five, six years or so. Really, most of um, the 2000s, other than, you know, maybe a, a couple years, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, really a few when, little blips, the Miami when, years. When, yeah. when this happened and then, you know, a few years afterward, basically. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so I, I remember that there was a Slate article that has six degrees or it's, a, it's like, you know, degrees of separation between players. Uh do you want to see Kendrick Perkins to George Mikan? Oh, sure. There okay. we go. All right. So we got Kendrick Perkins, who played on the 2010-11 Oklahoma City Thunder with Nazi Mohammed, who played on the 1998-1999 Philadelphia 76ers with Rick Mahorn, who played on the 1980-81 Washington Bullets with Wes Unseld, who played on the 1968, thank God for Wes Unseld, he covers like two decades there, uh, Wes Unseld who played on the 1968-69 Baltimore Bullets with Bob Ferry, who played on the 59-60 St. Louis Hawks with Slater Martin, who played on the 50-51 Minneapolis Lakers with George Mikan. So there you go. There you go. Kendrick Perkins. So I, I, I dare you to find somebody that you cannot connect to Kendrick Perkins in six. I, uh... All right, we'll have to. I, I can't just do that <laughs> on top of my head. but we'll, That'll uh, be our other show. Oh. It'll just be you saying names and then me doing this thing and then reading them off. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be right. great. People are going to love very, it. So. Very good. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, 
so, so you mentioned um, you mentioned Miami and how you kind of the similarities between the differences between how you know Miami was built mm-hmm. versus um, OKC. You know, what, what, do you, what do you kind of think about that? Well, I mean, obviously from the from the surface level, again, you have one incumbent guy in terms of you know Westbrook, Pierce, and then Wade for Miami, uh, and two stars coming over via trade, um, via free agency slash trade. I think there was like I, I think it wasn't an officially like a sign and trade for LeBron and, and, and Bosh, but without like some I, I forgot what it was exactly, but I remember. Uh, it, it was officially a sign trade, yes, yeah, but, right. it, but it, you know, the, to get the most money and stuff like that. So, so essentially trade, right. but you know, trade slash free agency or whatever. Uh, but the level yeah. of stars, I think, is kind of the big difference here. I really, but but it depends though how you viewed Kevin Garnett at this point, because you know, at that point, was he at or near the level that LeBron James was? You know, going into that final Cleveland year, that's what's kind of interesting to me because because now if you if you sort of ask me and I think about it, I go, oh no no no, LeBron's way better. But you got to remember, LeBron was kind of had the same stuff that Garnett had. It's like, yeah, you're great, but you know, what are you doing in the playoffs? You know, you're not really quite you know taking this next step with your team. And you know, everybody that you know the defenders were like, well, look at the team around him; it's no good, and he's doing all he can or whatever. And for both guys, it ended up being very true that you know once you put good players around them, that their you know you know their greatness shines through even more. But yeah, I guess it really depends on on where you would put Garnett versus LeBron. At this point, when that you know LeBron going to Miami and Garnett going to Boston, where you sort of view them, because if you do view them on the same level, then these are very similar. But if you view LeBron as like a complete you know conference swinging game changing player at that point, then of course that is you know a bigger distinction than, than Garnett. Yeah, I, I would view Garnett as like LeBron right now, where he's still really amazing, but he's not quite like at his peak. Sure, right. Um, yeah, the level of fame is obviously different. LeBron is much younger. So it, it's a difficult comparison. I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying, and it totally makes sense in terms of kind of like, okay, he hasn't filled this expectation, you know, that that we've expected of him at, at that point. They both were dealing with that. Like, I, I would say, yeah, Garnett is, yeah, I mean, he was such a defensive force, and that was probably underappreciated, you know, at, at that point. But I don't know. I mean, Le- LeBron wasn't, like, at a point where, like, even though, like, Garnett so didn't have a lot of talent on his teams, but LeBron didn't have a whole lot of talent on those teams either. But they were winning sixty game sixty games a year, you know, and and Garnett's yeah, right. teams weren't even making the playoffs, you know, for the last couple for you know two or three years before he he went to Boston. So uh, it's a little different, but but I, I definitely get what you're saying. Yeah, I, I mean, I I do think that the natural because you know LeBron and Wade that was something where like you know, they, they were both very much used to. Um, uh, you know, playing kind of in similar areas of court in similar way. And there was a lot of, you know, trading off and one guy kind of standing, you know, not doing much when the other guy was working. So um, it took a while for them to really get their chemistry going. And I feel like the the natural fit, particularly if Boston was already great. With Oklahoma City, I, I'm not quite as sure. I mean, it, it, like, so I, I feel like maybe it's like I feel like um, – Anthony and Westbrook and Anthony and George are totally fine because because I, I think Carmelo is such a, a great catch and shoot guy. If if he's willing to do that, which I think is another question because he's never really done that outside of the Olympics, which I is I get which is a thing, but is also like the, the Olympics are very specific context that isn't really replicated in the NBA. But you know how you know Westbrook, how Westbrook and George actually kind of. You know, fit together, I think it's going to be sort sort of interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 definitely an interesting question there. But yeah, so so Miami, I guess it, it, similar in a sense, but I do think that like like you're saying, and I agree with you as well that LeBron at that point was such a big shift that that none of those guys uh, for Boston were on that level, and I don't think, of course, anybody on OKC is quite that level too. Where it's like LeBron went to that team, and it was like, okay, now you know the things have shifted enough. But like the the Bosch comparison, like I would put, you know. 
I, I don't know, the OKC guys, you know, there's not a star at the top tier, you know, LeBron level, but, you know, two guys uh, probably around that Bosch level, probably around the Wade Bosch level for sure. And, you know, Wade was probably a little bit better at that point than, than Chris Bosch. So I think a little, you know, guys at that sort of level, but nobody that was like that transcendent, oh my God guy, like a, a LeBron who, you know, immediately you put him on your team and, and you know that you're going to compete, you know, for, for a title, you're going to be in the mix for a title as well. So that's a little bit how they're just slightly different, but I do think that's why, you know, in the sense that we didn't necessarily put the Miami big three as, as the focus here and more of the Celtics big three, because I think that just works a little bit better with this OKC one that we're talking about right now. Um, one thing I want to talk about, we, we mentioned it a little bit as well as the contracts and, and sort of the long term versus the short term of what's going on in OKC and what was going on um, for the Boston three. Uh, everybody in Boston was locked up for a little while. I mean, Garnett, uh, you know, upon the trade, he agreed to a three year, $60 million extension. Uh, and that started after his prior deal ran out in 2009. So obviously he'd be there for quite a while after that. Uh, Allen at the time of the trade had three years remaining on his contract. Uh, and then Pierce had signed a contract extension the year prior, and that would keep him in Boston until the 2010, uh, 2011 season. You contrast that, of course, with, as we mentioned with OKC, where, you know, Westbrook has not signed his extension yet. Uh, Paul George is out after this year, and, you know, there's rumblings that he's pretty much locked in to go to LA or whatever he says that's not the case well we'll see what happens and then you have uh, Carmelo who again I forgot to look it up I know Carmelo he's either in the final year or he's got like a player uh, option for the next year right yeah he has a player option okay. for the next year so yeah he could opt out. I mean there's a lot more money than he would probably get like on the market so you could see him opting in it, it's it's weird a little bit weird because like you know he might theoretically want to stay with Westbrook and um George but he has to make that decision before he would know whether they're going to stay so yeah, right. um yeah so it's hard to imagine him wanting to stay without them so and, and so that's a little <laughs> it could be one of those things where he opts in and then like they don't come back and then he gets bought out you know maybe maybe kind of deals like kind of like Wade uh, just did with the the uh, Bulls but yeah I guess we'll uh, I guess we'll see there Absolutely and then uh yeah I guess one one of the final questions is and we mentioned the potential for it to kind of blow up in a lot of ways of like, you know, what is the chances that this is just an absolute abject failure uh, and everything's a mess? And, and I guess at the time, did you think or, or do you know if there was any you know popular narrative that this Boston thing was going to just completely collapse and fall? Like you mentioned, it did seem a little like there's always this issue whenever you have those big threes and whenever you have a collection of stars coming together. It's, you know, how is there going to be enough balls to go around? These guys are used to being on, you know, doing their own thing and, and doing all their own, you know, and especially with Miami. We saw that for the first year. They're my big three where, you know, LeBron and Wade weren't quite sure who should be doing what and and who should be where and Bosch wasn't quite sure where to fit in either and we saw it with you know the Cleveland Cavaliers with Kevin Love who kind of seemed on the outside looking in and was like I don't really know what you guys want me to do like do I just stand in the corner you know what do I do here uh, the Lakers you mentioned uh, as well you know when you bring Odom and Gasol and, and and Brian it was a little bit of a weirdness thing of like okay well we're used to being the guy you know who does what or whatever uh, Boston I think was a little bit more complimentary at the time so I don't think there was necessarily as much of that because Ray Allen everybody sort of assumed that that his role was probably best just being kind of a catch and shoot guy uh, but Pearson Garnett maybe had similar things, but they played on different parts of the court a little bit, which I think uh, did help. And and I think you can maybe make a case for OKC kind of being the same way. The big thing is like you know is Russell Westbrook and Anthony going to be okay with you know not having every possession? I feel like Paul George could probably be okay, you know, being like sort of a you know a hybrid point guard guy that takes the ball up and then sort of does some stuff. But I don't know. It, are are you worried at all about the potential for everybody getting upset that they don't get the ball enough or that there's not enough touches or or do you feel like they're enough complimentary? Because I I, I go. I I go both ways really on it yeah I, I like yeah because like Westbrook obviously like he had like a 41 percent usage rate last year <laughs> yeah which it was is, the most know, ever, like, yeah, crazy and, and yeah you would think it, it might be hard to go back from that a little bit you know and you you these guys are all kind of used to trusting themselves and um 
you know, and they're used to certain play way and there, there's comfort in that and there's, you know, belief in yourself and that you're the best option. And um, like, I, I can't imagine they like wouldn't want to make it work, but it, it just whether it's going to be like harder to just get everyone kind of used to it and on the same page and, and, and figuring things out and just like, yeah, like I can see that, that they that they could do it. I think they have the skills to do it, obviously. And I, I think that like I, I can see them fitting, but like it, I think it's going to be. You know, it's obviously going to take some compromise. It's really hard to um, to say. You know, you know, I have to say, like I was looking back at the role players, um, you know, for the Celtics. You know, and you mentioned a couple of them that kind of fit pretty well, but they they actually do kind of match up pretty well. Like I, I can see like Stephen Adams and Kendrick Perkins. You know, I can see um, like James Posey and Patrick Patterson. I mean, Patterson's a little more big, but you know, I I, I kind of feel like that. I, I feel like uh, Andre or um, Raymond Felton and Sam Cassell. You know, I, I feel like uh, Nick Collison and PG Brown. I feel like all those guys. Like, uh, yeah, I, I see a little bit of the uh, what the Thunder guys are doing. Um, you know, uh, Alex Abrinas and Eddie House. You know, I I, I feel like I, I see. Uh, so, some parallels with those guys, so that's kind of a, a, a sort of fun. It's like, oh yeah, maybe the uh, maybe those guys have like the raw uh, elements that you know kind of can kind of make all that work. Yeah, it, it is kind of interesting that 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 they are a little even before a lot of these deals were done. Like you saw them sort of yeah. acquire a, a few of the, uh, the veteran guys or whatever, and yeah. and yeah, there there is a nice little contrast there of, of you know your stars and then your guys that that you know your selfless role player guys. And I think that again, we talk about the the, the lineup as well with OKC and and the contra- uh, you know the comparison or rather uh, it's in the Boston between Roberson, a guy who you know like Rondo was really adverse to scoring. Like no, look, I'll do everything else. <laughs> you know, don't give me the I'll, I'll cut, I'll defend, I'll do all that sort of stuff. Like Rondo was not a guy who really wanted to score all that much he was like nope i'm good i'll just pass you guys the ball and that's something that's awesome to see that a guy can can affect the game without touching the ball or without scoring and that's going to be roberson's role in a lot of ways and then adams as well very similar to perkins can be that guy you know the defensive force down the middle a guy who, who's cool just getting offensive rebounds who who doesn't necessarily need you know touches on in the post and and a guy that you need to do stuff with or else he's going to sulk i mean he's a guy who, who's happy just being you know role player just running up and down the court and, and getting those hustle you know steals hustle blocks and hustle rebounds and stuff like that so that's gonna be really to see, and I think they do have those two guys in the rest of the starting lineup fit perfectly with the other three. So that that'll be interesting to see. I I, I think that'll work out. It's just going to be the depth. But you know, when you bring it up with guys, you know, you, you forget that OKC did kind of slowly or, or quietly load up with a lot of those kind of good veteran guys, like a, a Patterson and Raymond Felton, and those sort of guys are really could fit in well. So yeah, it, it's the potential for it blowing up. I don't think it's going to be like a gigantic, like horrible failure, and it's just like this is an entire mess, and we need to get rid of this as, as soon as possible. I don't think it's going to be that. Whether, you know, it's going to, like you said, put them immediately in the NBA Finals or immediately in the Conference Finals, I don't know. But I think that they've definitely put themselves in the, in, in the picture. And I think they're at least a top four team in the, in the West, if not higher than that, maybe top three. So that's really kind of all you want to do. So, no, I don't. I, I think the potential for it to blow up into like this thing where Carmelo wants to get traded and everybody's sulking and everybody hates each other. I just I, I don't know that it's ever going to get to that level quite. And, and I don't know if these personalities really fit that either. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing is that, you know, if Westbrook doesn't sign that extension, that's like a, I mean, on one hand, like, it's going to be just kind of see how it goes anyway. You know, this team is definitely, I mean, no one's under the impression that they're not like there for, you know, one year to try it out and see how it goes. Um, On the other hand, though, like, just the the fear of Westbrook leaving after what happened with Durant, it obviously has to be on people's minds. There's going to be some anxiety in the air because of that, whether that affects the team or not. Obviously that's going to affect the fan base, I'm sure. So, um, but we'll see how it goes. 
yeah, I'm, I'm excited one way or another to see, see, see how it plays out. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to reach the highs of this Boston thing, but I think it's, uh, it's going to be a very fun little ride here for the next, you know, few months. I agree. All right. Well, uh, thanks for uh, checking us out. You can uh, find us um, at the stepback at fansided.com where we do our uh, our podcast and there's lots of uh, good writing as, as the uh, as the preseason ramps up. There's going to be a lot of uh, good previews of all the teams and some great uh, some great podcasts, some great articles and so forth. So you should definitely check out the uh, stepback. Uh, you can uh, find us on uh, iTunes or Stitcher wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search for Over and Back, and you can also find us on. Twitter and Facebook uh, at Over and Back NBA. And also we have another uh, project that we are working on. First episode is going to be coming out uh, soon and it is uh, the Twitter account is uh, NBA 20 years ago and we are going to do a podcast series uh, looking at the events of uh, 20 years ago. So this is uh, our first episode will be the off season of um, 1997 and then we'll be doing some episodes uh, throughout the uh, uh, the season recounting you know key and important things we've got um, a Charles Spearwell uh, choking scandal uh, coming up it is the last year of the Chicago Bulls dynasty with Michael Jordan and lots of uh, interesting things that are going to come up both on the uh, Twitter account uh, and on the show so uh, follow that and be on the lookout for uh, those episodes uh, anything else Rich? No I think that's it yeah I'm, I'm excited about that other projects and uh, yeah I'm excited for you guys to hear it too. I think we're uh, it's the Twitter account's been great so far, and I think the uh, the podcasts are gonna uh, you guys are really gonna be happy with them as well. So definitely follow that. Definitely check everything out we got going on there, and of course, yeah, everything that's going on at the step back as as the season ramps up, and and uh, some more written content from uh, from you and I as well on the step back uh, throughout the season. So definitely, I want to make sure you're following along there, subscribing, and 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 seeing what we're gonna do because it's gonna be some cool stuff coming up. Yeah, yeah, we're excited about it. So. All right, thanks everyone for uh, checking us out. We're back again soon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.